started here this morning, we're actually launching into a Christmas series here. And uh, in this Christmas season, we're going to reflect on a little bit of what our God brings to us. In fact, you can see the words across the back of the stage and uh, what we're going to be walking through over these uh, next four weeks, but hope and joy and love and peace, hope and joy and love and peace. We better grasp this, man. The Christmas story is all about the character of God revealed out physically and spiritually to rock our worlds. And we're able to grasp the hope and the joy and the love and the peace that comes in this Christmas season as we properly reflect on our King. And all too often, Christmas becomes all about buying gifts and all about trying to set up parties, maybe getting some new clothes or planning a new trip or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, we've gotten all into our little physical world and we've lost sight of the greatness of our King. And so part of our job in this season is yes, to enjoy Christmas. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But don't let it become the most important thing. And all of God's people said. And so we celebrate Jesus Christ and we lift him up with all we've got. So we're going to be walking through four weeks of looking at the greatness of Jesus as we look through the story that is told about Christmas within Scripture. And today we're going to jump into the story of hope. Hope, that's our first word. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7. And uh, just a little bit past, (coughs) excuse me, just a little bit past center. All right, I'm just going to say it because you all know it. That gluten-free stuff. (laughs) Right? Unbelievable, man. All right, just had to get it out of the way. So so as we dive into Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we're looking at the character of God revealed out as he's put promise down some 700 years before the time of Christ. And uh, the first point, hope. Hope in the miracle of a virgin birth. Hope in the miracle of a virgin birth. And... uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it starts out, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? It starts out, therefore. And when we see the therefore, we say, what's it there for? It's a connecting word, right? And so what's it connecting us back to? Don't lose sight of connecting words and what it takes us back to, especially this verse, right? We read this verse like, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. We've heard it so many times before about Christmas. And so we think it through. As soon as we hear the words, we're like, oh yeah, this is that Christmas hope statement. This was that sweet moment where God is like, let me give you a sign. And they're like, this is so awesome. And this is such a sweet moment of God coming down to do a miracle work. And just so you know, that's not exactly what was going on. And so let's make sure we know and understand the story, all right? If you need, for us to understand it, you need to hear a little bit of detail. And so first, as we go back, remember, Israel, they were a nation that was captive in in Egypt for about 400 years, right? 
We talked about that back a couple series ago when we were back in the feasts and we were talking it through. They were captive in Egypt for 400 years. God ended up getting them busted out because he did 10 plagues and that 10th plague got them released, right? And as they were released out, that Passover lamb moment, as they came out, God walked them across. He's like, here's the promised land. And they looked and they saw giants in the promised land, big guys that they're like, we can't beat them. And so they pulled back and they're like, we don't think so. We think this is kind of a bad idea. And God was like, all right, I'm going to walk you in the desert for 40 years. Why 40 years? He was like, just so you know, this generation that would not trust in me is going to pass away. And I'm going to take your kids into the promised land. And so he walked with them. Everybody say with them. Right? He didn't separate from them. He walked with them in the desert. God with them daily, regularly as he provided for them. But 40 years he walked with them. And they ended up along the way, passing away all that generation that would not trust. And the kids came in to the promised land. So they came into that promised land called Israel. In fact, it's the exact same geographic location of Israel today. A little bit larger in size than what it is today, right? Today there's a little bit of narrowing in pieces, but that Israel is the Israel we're talking about, the promised land. And as the kids came in, they ended up spreading out, God giving them kind of land and place and location. And they were there for hundreds of years, living, growing, and getting it. Here was the statement they ended up making to God. Yeah, we feel a little weird because we don't have a physical king like the rest of the people do. We keep having to point to a spiritual king and we feel bizarre. They're kind of making fun of us and we don't like it. We want a physical king. Like, I'm not making that up. That's for real. They whined that they didn't have a physical king. God's like, you don't want that. They're like, no, we really do. We're not like the world. All right. Everybody just say that's a terrible plan. Never try to live your life trying to match up to the world. Match up to your God and all that he's calling you to, right? And they're like, no way, man. We need it. And so God's like, all right, fine, then I'll work with you in this, but I'm telling you this isn't the way to go. God ushers in some men who become king of Israel. It doesn't take but a couple of kings in, and it all unwinds. The whole thing goes to pot. All of a sudden, they're fighting with each other. There's a separation. Ten tribes move up to the north. The two tribes, Judah to the south, there's a separation. They have two separate kings, two separate kingdoms. Now there's the kingdom to the north, the kingdom to the south. The kingdom to the north, well, they took the name Israel with them. They're like, we're Israel, all 10 of us tribes. Another name for them would be Ephraim. And hang on, you're going to see that name today. So Ephraim or Israel, the kingdom to the north, and then Judah, the kingdom to the south. These two kingdoms kind of standing against each other, even though they are actually the same ethnicity. They came from the same place. Sad things going on as they're battling with each other. Now that northern kingdom, well, they're kind of set around some other nations that's kind of making them a little afraid. One of them, very specifically, was Syria. And so that northern kingdom sitting there, Syria just up off to the northeast from it, the same Syria of today that you and I would think of, the same Damascus that you and I would think of, that same place is ending up up off to the northeast a little bit, and they end up coming over to the northern kingdom and saying, hey, let's partner up. 
The two of us get together. We'll go down. We'll attack that southern kingdom. We'll knock them out. Let's take this thing over. And the northern kingdom, while they may not have wanted to necessarily partner and do it that way, is like, if we don't do this, bad things could happen to us. And so the whole thing was set up that Syria would come down, northern kingdom would partner up, they would go down and attack the southern kingdom. There's a king over the southern kingdom, his name is Ahaz. And this king is like not liking what he's hearing. Everybody's coming against me and that's kind of where we're picking up in Isaiah chapter 7, all right? So jump with me real quickly to verse 5 and we'll just get a running start up to verse 14. Here we go, it says... Because Syria, remember that kingdom to the northeast, right? Because Syria with Ephraim, the northern kingdom, and the son of Remaliah, that's the king at that time, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst. Now this Tabiel must have been like a puppet king, somebody they knew that they could get what they wanted from. So they're like, hey, let's partner together and go do this. This is Isaiah now telling Ahaz, here's the plan. So Syria has partnered up with the northern kingdom, Ephraim. They're coming down. They're looking to put a loser king in place instead of you, Ahaz. He says, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. God's like, hang on, don't worry about it. Yes, they have a plan, and no, I don't agree with it, and just so you know, I'm a little bigger than them, right? He's like, just hang on, it's gonna be okay. He said, for the head of Syria is Damascus, right? That's the capital, the city, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and that's the king. And, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. God's like, hang on, Ahaz, king of the south, they're going away, man. Don't worry about it. Within 65 years, it's all done. In fact, realistically, within 10 to 12 years, they are taken away, a lot of them into captivity. And within 65, the whole thing is done and over. And, and he's like, just hang on. I know what I'm doing. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. That's the capital city. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. That's the king. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. All right, there's not a lot of verses in scripture where you're like, that just needs to be a t-shirt, right? But this is one of those, like, you have got to be kidding. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. He's like, hang on, trust big. I, I, I know what I'm doing, and I've got this in hand, and trust with faith along the way. Ahaz is given that message by Isaiah. Isaiah now says to him, verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Like I'm telling you a big deal thing. I know that. It might be hard to believe based on all that you've seen and heard. I'm willing to do any sign you want. You name it. Okay, now I'm just asking you right now if God said to you, any sign you want, what would you pick? Like really think about it. Get for real. Like here's a sign I'd go after. This would be cool. Okay, you getting it? All right, you got your sign? Here's Ahaz. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. All right, 
Have you ever had those moments where it really sounds like you're being godly, but in fact you're being defiant? Right? When God says, pick a sign, I'm going to give it to you, what should you do? Pick a sign. Right? God's in charge. He says to do it, follow through. Right? And uh, he says, pick a sign. And Ahaz is like, no, no, God. I can't put you to the test. I know what's right and wrong. In other words, you're wrong for asking me to do that. I'll be more right than you. I'm not doing what you say. Everybody say, that's a terrible plan. I agree with you. That's a terrible plan. And so now he's mouthing off to God. And he's like, no thanks. I know better. And uh, no, I really know what I'm doing. Remember, Isaiah, the prophet, is the one sharing this. That's the name of the book you're in, right? And Isaiah is the one sharing this across to Ahaz. And Ahaz is responding back to Isaiah as he says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So Isaiah says to him, verse 13, Hear then, O house of David. That, by the way, is what you're saying when you address kingship. O house of David. He's talking to Ahaz the king, and he's like, hey, man, you are king. Hear, O house of David, king. Is it too little for you to weary men that now you must also weary my God? Okay, you better hear attitude in that. Isaiah is like, seriously, man, you're making me tired. Now you're going to go make God tired? You've got to be kidding me. He's like, seriously, pick a different plan. And uh, God apparently communicating with Isaiah along the way, verse 14. Therefore, are you hearing it now pick up? So we have attitude from Ahaz, fear along the way, unwilling to follow what God has to say. I will not pick a sign that you've asked me to pick out. Now God's picking it up. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You hearing it? Like, hey man, I told you to pick a sign. You wouldn't pick it. Fine. God's going to do something and he's going to reveal out through the sign. And so here's God's plan. This is massive plan. This is divine plan. This is almighty plan. And he's like, hear me. This is God's plan for you. He says, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, Check it out. It means, look at this. This is a big deal about ready to come. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's break it down. Uh, the virgin. Please notice it does not say a virgin. It says the virgin. There is one person in mind. Most likely this means that Ahaz knows this person pretty well. Now, remember, we're talking about a passage that we all are pretty familiar with and somehow pointing to Jesus, but I'm telling you, God's talking to Ahaz in the 734 BC time frame, like 750 years before Christ kind of thing, right? And he's saying statements to him about this sign will let you know, right? So this is a sign to Ahaz in his time frame that he would be able to see and understand something. It's really important we grasp that. It's not a very great sign to Ahaz if he's like, here's a sign. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you what it is. Now, the reality is, you will have been dead for 720 years before it happens. Right? Everybody say, that's a terrible sign. Right? That's a terrible sign. Like, Ahaz is like, I never saw it. And he's like, yeah, I know. It came like, well after you. Right? But, but, but I was just telling people in general it was happening. That's not what's going on. 
He's telling Ahaz, there's going to be a sign right here in your presence, in your time frame. Get ready. He says, the virgin. And so clearly somehow someone that he knows uh, close to him in some way. Now this word virgin in the original language, it's the word alma. Alma. It's a Hebrew word. It means young woman of marrying age. Has the implication of pure and chaste along with it. So the interpretation, the virgin, is not a bad statement there, but it means young woman of marrying age. And so what he's hearing is the young woman of marrying age, not yet married, pure and chaste. Well, she's going to conceive and bear a son. Now, he's not actually hearing that as the miracle sign. The next part, it says, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Im, it means with. Everybody say with. Im, it means with. Anu, it means us. Everybody say us. El, it means God. Everybody say God. Put it together. With us is God. God with us. And she's going to name her child. And so what's going to happen is there's going to be some life that's going on. And there's some young ladies that Ahaz knows. And he's kind of watching. And there's weddings that are taking place. And as these events are going down, Ahaz is watching life. And all of a sudden, one of them ends up having a baby. And they're like, do you know what I've named him? And he's like, no, what have you named your child? She's like, Im Anu El, God with us. And in that moment, Ahaz would have been like, what did you just say? What did you just say? Emmanuel, Im Anu El, this name given to a child in that lifetime of Ahaz. And there's some verses that go on after verse 14 there that talk all about what's coming next. And that there would be a clarity of things that would take place. And that within a short time period, 10 to 12 years at most, all of these details would unroll with Ephraim being pulled away, Syria being pulled apart. None of that happening. He's super clear that in the near term for Ahaz, there's going to be a little child named Emmanuel. And I guarantee you when he heard this prophecy, the Alma the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, what he heard was, we'll get married and get pregnant and have a baby. The miracle to Ahaz was the name of the child. Timely and appropriate. That's what Ahaz was seeing and hearing. But man, we don't usually talk about that. Why not? Well, because we also talk about this as being a prophecy about Christ. And I'm just going to be honest with you, man. If I don't have a New Testament passage tying to this scripture, I probably won't grab this, pull it out, and say, this is about Jesus Christ. It might, I, I got to be hesitant, I got to be careful, but I have chapter and verse, New Testament, that clearly tells us how we need to interpret it. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 18, but this is actually quoted in verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We need to grasp this, man. What we're seeing in this prophecy is God gives a prophecy out and there's a near-term fulfillment to Ahaz right in his time frame, a fulfillment. Not unlike the feasts that we saw where there was a local historical event of fulfillment, but there is also a long-term, a future, a Messiah fulfillment, a messianic completion 
to this prophecy. This wasn't just about some little moment with Ahaz. That's why God's like, I'm going to give you this sign. You need to know this. This is a huge deal. Everybody say huge deal. And so in Ahaz's time, it was letting him know, yeah, you're going to be safe from Syria and the northern kingdom. But man, it's so much bigger than that. Get ready. And the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Here we go. It says, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Before they came together. Everybody say before. Okay. So they are not yet married, betrothed. It's sort of like our engaged, a little more intense than our engaged, but it's sort of like what we would say by engaged. And uh, so they're engaged. They're not sleeping together yet. There's been no sexual relationship. It says before they came together, she was found to be with child. She's pregnant, but she has not yet been with a physical man. How could that happen? It says right after it, from the Holy Spirit. And we need to grasp, man, this is now shifting the miracle of Isaiah 7.14 from a name and the timing of a name to actually the Alma, the virgin pure, becoming pregnant with child, right? It's shifting the hope to the other side. And all of a sudden, we're getting a deeper view it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes upon her and she conceives. Why is that a big deal? Well, because this is how God chose it to work. Is that through the man, sin is passed into our children. Did you know that? Romans chapter 5, it says that through the man, sin is passed down. And that means each husband is passing the sin life. That sinful behavior gets passed down into the child through the man. That's how God chose it. That's how he passes it along. All the ladies in here are like, I knew it. <laughs> right? And uh, Just so you know, that's how God chose to pass this whole sinful nature on was through the man. And so why is it a big deal that Holy Spirit comes upon? Because if it was Joseph and Mary and God just does something with the soul of Jesus Christ, well, then you have this problem of sin within Sin within the body and somehow in that mass, God would have to be doing something. So instead of it being a physical man, it is Holy Spirit. And now there is sinlessness. There is no sin passed on. And Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man and sinless. Everybody say sinless. And this is a huge deal. Holy Spirit comes upon her. And now the Alma, the pure unmarried virgin woman she conceives and she bears a son the miracle is the front half of the prophecy the miracle is God coming down and doing an amazing thing the miracle is God with us and all of God's people said man that's a huge deal that we have to grasp the Holy Spirit came on her and says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Why? Well, would you believe her? When she says, no, seriously, it was the Holy Spirit who came on me. I wasn't with another guy. And he's like, yeah, I don't believe you. 
And I'm bailing on this. I don't want to hurt you, and I'm not going to make this vicious, but I'm out. You cheated on me, and I'm done. Joseph is devastated by the news of her pregnancy because he presumes the thing that we would all presume. This must just be another guy with her. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, when we see the word behold, we say, Check it out. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Man, you have to hear me. That whole sentence has been read so many times in so many different Christmas services, but the punch in the sentence is the word is. You got to hear that, man. Listen to this again. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's heard her say it. It's a lie. I don't buy it. And the angel's like, no, man, it's truth is from the Holy Spirit. Huge deal. And as he challenges him to grasp that, he says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. All right, hang on. I thought the passage said Emmanuel. Like, what's going on with that? And so whenever you see this in the Old Testament where it says that their name would be called, that sometimes means it's an actual name they were being named, and sometimes it means it's the character being begat down into the thing, right? And so what we have is the ultimate fulfillment is not that Jesus' name was Emmanuel, but that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That is massive. It's not just some name given, but it means something pointing over there. He is Emmanuel. And his name is Jesus. In the Greek, Jesus. In the Hebrew, Yeshua. It means Savior. His name will be called Savior. Why? Well, because he will save his people from their sins. He is giving Joseph an insight to something massive taking place for all of humanity. Jesus Christ is here to take care of our sin. And that's why we go to communion as we remember the time of Christmas. It's all tied together in one. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The Alma, without being with another man, will have a baby. Everybody say miracle. That's the miracle of it all. Oh, and by the way, im anu el. God with us in the midst of that. Everybody say, and that's the miracle. Both and. Not just the last half naming and timing, but both of them, amazingly, the miracle God was calling out as sign to be ultimately and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Man, whenever you have a New Testament moment pointing back to an Old Testament verse telling you what it means, bank on it, right? That is strong preach and teach. He's telling us right here, Isaiah 7, 14, absolutely applies to Jesus Christ. And he says which they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit came down and conceived with Mary this just 
fully man, but Jesus Christ, fully God, with in the midst of that. God with us. The ultimate and complete fulfillment. Know this man, Ahaz, man, he was promised something in the moment, right? But so much more than that. We are promised for all eternity. And all of God's people said, man, may we hope like they hoped. Simply put, hope. Hope like Isaiah hoped. Hope. Hope like Ahaz hoped once he finally saw the sign and got it. Hope. Hope like Mary hoped as she heard and had God come upon her. Hope. Hope like Joseph hoped as the angel told him what was going down. Hope. Man, are you ready to hope in Jesus Christ? He is the one who is born from the miracle virgin birth, the Alma, the pure, chaste, unmarried woman, and the Holy Spirit came on her, God among men. And all of God's people said, hope. That's the first part. What's he like? What is this king like? Let's turn to point number two as we get the character of Jesus Christ stated out. It says, hope in God with us, the king who will reign forever. Hope in God with us, the king who will reign forever. Just turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. It's just one page or two pages over, depending on your Bible, uh, from Isaiah 7. Let's go to Isaiah 9. And we're going to jump in at verse 6, but before we get there, I just want us to hear this. It says, but there will be no gloom for her, starting in verse 1, no gloom for her, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Why does that matter? Because in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Matthew quotes that out and says, this is the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to Capernaum on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. It was a little tiny town right there on the water. Maybe a thousand people at most, somewhere in there. Super small. And Jesus did some miracle work there. And he's like, just so you know, that is the light coming into the darkness. That is Galilee of the nations. Everybody say that's a big deal. Notice it doesn't say Galilee of the Jews. He's actually going to all people. And Matthew is unveiling that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. As he's like, when Jesus went to Capernaum, he fulfilled Isaiah 9. Massively fulfilled it. Now we get to verse 6 as we're talking about Jesus Christ here. And it says, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Right? We have hope in Jesus Christ. And it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, meaning at some point on this one, all of government everywhere will be on him. Jesus Christ ruling over all. And man, when Jesus Christ came first as a baby and in his first coming, 
He began to take over spiritually, but man, he will take over physically for all eternity, Jesus Christ. He is going to rule for overall, for all time, and the government will be on his shoulders. Every nation reports to him, he will be in charge, physically and ultimately in charge. It says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now in the Hebrew, each of these words is actually a noun. Wonder and counselor, right? Like he's going to bring awe with the words he shares and the insight he gives and the care he brings, Jesus Christ. Awe through him. Wonder and counselor. And then it says after it, mighty God, literally power and God put together. Almighty God. He has massive authority and power. When he speaks, it is. In his presence, it is sustained. Jesus Christ, mighty God, fully God, fully man, absolutely in charge. That is our hope. Man, are you ready to hope? Everybody just say hope as loud as you can. Don't miss it. Hope in the one who brings awe with every word he speaks. Hope in the one who displays massive power because of who he is. Hope, Jesus Christ. It says, mighty God, everlasting Father. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the Son of God. How is this Father? And here's the answer to it. This is not speaking to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This isn't speaking to the Trinity these are two nouns, remember? It's eternity, Father. He is the author of eternity, Jesus Christ. He speaks and this physical world exists and he will sustain it for as long as he sees fit. And he says, eternity. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and all of it established under him. Man, he gives our spiritual life of eternity he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And all of God's people said, man, he is the author and perfecter and it will last for eternity. He is the father of eternity, Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. This is all talking about him and his greatness. And then it says, prince of peace. When he comes, there will be no more war. In his second coming, he will bring it all to an end. And as he rules over all, it's all done. There will be no more sorrow and no more heartache and no more pain and no more breaking down. There will be no more sickness and no more death and no more war. Jesus Christ, amen, man, in charge, Prince of Peace, do you have hope in the one who reigns over all? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, that is our God. And all of God's people said, and Jesus Christ, God with us. Our hope for all eternity. He says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How long? Forever. 
forevermore. Jesus Christ, he will establish, he will rule, and he will reign. Where is your hope? Do you hope in him? Do you grasp him as your king? Are you looking to him as your God? And I love this. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Please notice, it does not say, and men, by trying really hard, will get this accomplished. It doesn't say that. It says, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. And it will last forevermore. How long will it last? So here's our job. We have one word to say today as we place our hope in Jesus Christ. God gave us a sign in 734 BC. It was applying to Christ at the time in Isaiah 9. It points to eternity beyond hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Man, as we walk into this Christmas season, we have a word to grasp. That word is hope. Say it as loud and as big as you can. Ready? Hope, louder and bigger. That's our call. May we worship the God of the universe who is with us.